Oh Lord, I'll thank you a million times if I ever meet my beloved again. This is the Bhajan Rabalaka Laka Shukara Manava on page 279. I am somewhere, my beloved is somewhere else. It doesn't look like I'll meet the beautiful one. If he would listen to the cry of my heart and come at least once, I will follow him like his shadow if I ever meet my beloved again. What have you done to me? Oh, separation, go away from me. You have afflicted my life with such a big disease. Tell me, what have I done wrong to you? I would lay down my eyes on his path if I ever meet my beloved again. Why did he take his eyes away from me? My nights are spent while remaining awake. I would show him the wounds of my heart if I ever meet my beloved again. If I meet my beloved husband, I would bloom in happiness. I, the homeless one, might get resettled somewhere. I would meditate upon the address of his love if I ever meet my beloved again. Oh Lord, I'll thank you millions of times if I ever meet my beloved again. Bhajan of Bulisha on page 279. Hmm? And there's also a handout, yeah.
Ravavicha, Ankia Vichava, Jacadi Mera, Yaramil Jaye, Rabalakalaka, Shukara Manava, Rabalakalaka, Shukara Manava. Jekadi mera yaramil jaye rabalakalak shukramanava one kedi gallo nazra ne feria one kedi gallo nazra ne give us your darshan. We are great sinners. Cut down all the dangers. We have come to your door. Why don't you attach us to your feet? 
We have wandered over the whole world and have not received any support. Why don't you show everyone the beautiful divine light? I am your soul, yet still I have become the slave of the mind. I am surrounded by the trap of Maya. Why don't you come and save me? Divert the waves of mind. Join the disconnected souls. Breaking the cup of sins, why don't you make us drink the nectar? Oh, Satguru, I am a useless soul. You yourself have to give me support. Why don't you remove Ajayb's pain of separation? Beloved Sawan Kripal, why don't you give us your darshan? Bhajan of Sanchi on page 84. Sawan Kiripala Piyare Darshandi Kande Kyonahi Sawan Kiripala Piyare Darshandi Kande Kyonahi Asiha Papi Pare Kata Deva San Kata Sare Asiha Papi Pare Kata Deva San Kata Sare Chalake ha aye devare Chalake ha aye devare Chalanavichalande kyo nahi Sawan kirpalakinare Darshandi kande kyo nahi Sawan kirpala piyare Darshandi kande kyo nahi Piriya sansara sara Miliyana koi sahara Piriya sansara sahara Miliyana koi sahara Sauna jonuralahi
होके में आत्मा तेरी बान गाई हामान दिचेरी होके में आत्मा तेरी बान गाई हामान दिचेरी मायादे जालने केरी मायादे जालने केरी आखे बचांदे क्यों नहीं सावन केरे पाल पियारे दर्शन भी कांदे क्यों नहीं सावन तेरे पाल पियारे दर्शन भी कांदे क्यों नहीं मंदिया लारामोरो Tutte gaia ruha jodo Mandia laramoro Tutte gaia ruha jodo Papada piala panake Papada piala panake Amarita pilande kyo nahi Sawan kiripala piyare Darshan dikande kyo nahi सावन तेरे पाल पियारे दर्शन दिखाने क्यों नहीं सतगुरु में जीवन कारा देना है आपस हारा सतगुरु में जीवन कारा देना है आप सहारा दर्दावी छोड़ दे बाला दर्दावी छोड़ दे जाए बदतान देखियों नहीं सावन केरे पाल पियारे दर्शन दिखान देखियों नहीं सावन केरे पाल पियारे दर्शन दिखाने क्यों नहीं? Beloved Sawan Kapal, why don't you give us your darshan?
there are a few announcements. Bajans will be at John and Kathy White's this Thursday at 6.30. There will be a meal served at John and Kathy White's after satsang. Everyone is invited. Maps are on the counter. And the Anurag Sagar study group will meet after satsang today. And I want to continue reading today the reading we began last month, uh, sections of it anyway, Conversations of Baba Sawan Singh with actually quite a, an assortment of people. Last month we heard uh, a large section of a conversation with a group which included a number of Christian missionaries. Um, as well as some disciples and some both Hindu and Muslim non-initiates as well. And the um, today we will continue and in this section he talks with uh, a Muslim non-initiate but seeker quite a bit and then uh, an American lady joins the group also and I'll pick up I'm not absolutely sure at what point we left off last month but it's only a paragraph or two anyway so he has told a story about how uh, God answered his prayer that time that the uh, fuses did not blow up when technically they were supposed to and with how important that was to him they were discussing prayer also of course he had been discussing forgiveness and this whole reading although it's actually several sections in the book called The Call of the Great Master by Darya Al Kapoor um, It, all of the things are tied together by, I think, a very beautiful um, series of comments on the basic subject of inclusiveness, radically, being radically inclusive, that this makes, is what makes God, God, you might say, that he loves us no matter what, all of us anybody and there are you know, selections in the Gospels and also in the Tao Te Ching and other places which make the same point you know Jesus says your Heavenly Father maketh the Sun to shine on the unjust and the just alike and the rain too you know and you should be the same and he was that way and uh, the Tao Te Ching makes the same point. And Samhain Singh is making that point here. So, the Mohammedan gentleman, the non-initiate, who is at this point in the conversation largely asking most of the questions, says, ah, this shows that God sometimes acts, accepts prayers. 
But what is the criterion laid down by him for their acceptance? The great master smiled. Then he replied, Your eyes see the present. The Almighty sees beyond time and infinity. We should obey him and receive with pleasure whatever he gives us. We should not even take any steps to ward off arrows shot by him, was the master's comment. It is said of Rabia Basri, the lady mystic of Basra, that she never took any steps to cure her illness or remove her poverty, accepting these as gifts from the Lord, said the Mohammedan gentleman. Continuing the discussion, the great master said, Guru Arjan Dev, the fifth guru in the line of Guru Nanak, who lived in the time of Emperor Jahangir in the 17th century, was severely tortured by the governor of Lahore on the orders of the emperor. He was made to sit on a red-hot iron plate, and hot burning ashes were put on his naked body. Mianmir, a Mohammedan fakir who visited him in his prison cell, could not bear the sight of such outrages being per perpetrated on a servant of God. He therefore asked Guru Arjan Dev to permit him to destroy the region of Lahore and raise it to the ground with all of its tyrants and tyrannies. The Guru merely smiled and said, Dear brother, first answer me one question. Is all this being done against the will of my beloved Lord? If not, then sweet is the pleasure of abiding by his order. Terra bana mita lage. The world has often treated its great men very cruelly, said Raisada Hansraj. How cruel, explained, exclaimed Pandit Thakardat, to torture a man simply because he does not worship God in the way you worship him? Why is that so, sir? The Mohammedan gentleman asked. Logic and love face different ways, said the great master. Love knows no law, and logic knows no love. Law and logic are meant for the affairs of this world. To the abode of the beloved, one can fly only on the wings of love. Sadha kitab o sadhavarkadara narakun. Throw thy books and knowledge in the fire. Refresh thy mind with love of the Lord. Let the garden of thy heart bloom with the water of his love. Saints come and sing of nothing but the love of the Lord, his ishk. They do not interfere with the rites, rituals, ceremonies, or religions of the world. They simply let the world and its lovers alone. If a marriage is to be performed, they say, go and perform it according to the custom of your society, or in whatever way you like. The purpose is only to unite the hand of the bride with that of the bridegroom and to tie them together in a matrimonial knot. Do it as you think best. If a dead body is to be disposed of, they say, bury or cremate it as you like. A child is born. Well, christen it as you deem fit. God does not care to interfere in the petty affairs. He wants your love and purity alone. Trouble arises when the logician tries to force his theories into the realm of love and God. He wishes that the shariat, 
the rules of conduct laid down by the leaders of his religion for the purpose of leading a peaceful and orderly life in the world should guide the lovers of God also in their love affairs with their beloved. They cannot realize that the love of God and God's love for his lovers is limitless. It cannot be circumscribed, limited, or confined within any boundaries. The lovers transcend all laws. They become merged in the Beloved and become the Beloved himself. Why was Mansur, the king of lovers, crucified? Because he cried out in his ecstasy, I am he. The barren philosophy of the uninitiated could not comprehend the height of his flight and rendered a verdict of blasphemy against him. Shamas Tabriz of Persia was skinned alive for bringing a dead boy to life by saying, Arise by my order, after the boy had not risen when he said, Arise by the order of Allah. Great Kabir says, Karata kare na karasake santa kare sohoye. The saints can accomplish what the Creator cannot. Paltu says, Saints are so near and dear to God that he never refuses what they want him to do. The hair-splitter logician finds it impossible to comprehend this and believes that what he cannot understand is not possible, not knowing that there are realms where reason cannot enter. But the laws of shariat also must be followed, said the Mohammedan gentleman. Certainly, within their province, the great master replied, but passing beyond shariat and tariqat, there are the domains of ma'arfat, divine knowledge, and hakikat, merging in reality. A student should not always cling to his primary class lessons. Mystics have laid down four stages in spiritual development. Shariat, or code of life, is the first one. But living a good moral life is not the ultimate goal. After this, a, speak, a seeker steps into tariqat, or the path. He has to search for his true master, and under his instructions, follow the spiritual practices that will take him to the door of the Lord's palace. The third stage is marifat, realization, in which he receives divine knowledge. Fourth is hakikat, to be one with the Lord. Those, of course, are the Arabic Persian names for the stages, which are used by the Sufi masters of Islam. Now, who would like to remain permanently tied to the first stage if he has knowledge of the higher stages and knows that they are essential for one's spiritual development? Is the above your path also, inquired the Mohammedan gentleman. To this the master replied, the path of the saints to whichever country, race, or religion they may belong, is always the same. It is the same for all ages and climes. It is not the design of any man which might require some addition, alteration, or modification. It is the Creator's own design and was created with man, and it is the same for all ages and for all mankind. Sir, what is the Mohammedan name for your system of spiritual practices? asked the Mohammedan gentleman. The great master smiled a little and said, 
Muslim saints call it Sultan al-Azkar, which means the king of all methods. And I'm going to skip a section here. I want to pick up here. Yeah. At this stage, Mr. Virban, deputy director of industries of the Punjab, arrived with a European gentleman and a lady. Wonderful are the ways of the master. Like a magnet, he draws his chosen souls to himself. This lady, on seeing the master, came running and fell down at his feet. He put both of his hands on her head and asked her to rise, but she would not. She began to cry and kissed his feet, which were bare. That was a scene for gods to see. He was sitting in a low, easy chair, and the lady was wetting his feet with her tears. Now calm yourself, my daughter, and be seated, he said. The young lady raised her head, looked into his eyes, and again laid her head on his feet. Well, come on, let us talk now. Where did you learn this oriental way of prostrating yourself? Get up now, please, he said. There were both command and affection in these words, and the lady could resist no longer. You taught me all this, great master, she replied. But we have never met before, said he. Have we not? Are we not old friends? Then she corrected herself. Have you not been my guardian angel since my childhood? Her story revealed the following facts. Her name was Miss E, and she was American. During her childhood, she had occasionally had visions of the great master, but did not know who he was. For some time past, she had had no such visions, and had quite forgotten about the previous ones. About a week before she had come to Dalhousie, the visions had begun to appear again, though this time always in dreams. They left a very soothing and peaceful effect on her mind, and she felt very happy about it. She had a premonition that they presaged some great event in her life and that it was to happen very soon. She wondered what she could do to bring that time nearer, but what was there she could do? The master appeared in the vision at his own sweet will and always uttered the words, Be ready, which conveyed no meaning to her. She said, I could only pray, and I did begin to pray. Yesterday evening, she continued, an Indian gentleman with a charming wife and children came to stay in my hotel and took the rooms next to mine. They had a number of foreign periodicals, such as Life, Time, Look, and Sketch with them, for which I had been looking since I left Bombay more than a month ago. This led to my making their acquaintance that very evening. But the Lord had his own purpose in this. Ostensibly, he sent me to them to borrow a copy of a picture magazine, but in reality, he wanted to show me his own picture. No sooner had I entered their sitting room than my attention was drawn to a photograph in a silver frame placed on the mantelpiece. I ran toward it like a child and took it in my hands without asking anyone's permission. A moment later, I asked, Who is this? Whose photo is it? It is of the great master, our Satguru, said the gentleman, whose name I later came to know was Mr. Virban. Have you ever met him, he asked. Yes, many times, but only in dreams and visions, I told him. 
In these there was the same celestial light shining on the serene face, the same sunny smile, the same brilliant eyes beaming forth love, mercy, and kindness, and the same white beard matching the immaculate white dress that I had seen in my visions. I kissed the photo again and again and excitedly pressed it to my heart. The family was not surprised at my behavior. They only looked a little amused. Where does he live? I asked Mr. Virban. In the devotee's hearts, he replied teasingly. Where can I meet him? I asked. And the result of our long talk is that you find me here today. Afterwards, she said that she had had only one doubt. A Mohammedan mystic in Persia had told her that she would meet her master in India. The mystic had said, he is the king of all the masters in the world. His ashram is on the bank of a river in northern India. Accordingly, when she learned that the great master's ashram was on the bank of the river Bayas, she was completely satisfied. They are, uh, the master is on tour here, and this session was taking place in Dalhousie, which is a city uh, in the Himalayas, uh, actually quite a ways from Bayas, I believe. It was apparent that she was a sincere seeker after God, and she asked the great master many questions about Sant practices and how they differed from Christ's way of God-realization. In fact, the next two or three days were exclusively her days. Her questions and the great master's answers were so interesting and engrossing that there was no time for anyone else to think of any questions. On the first two days, she asked dozens of questions about Sant and many more about Christ and Christianity. Our opinion of Europeans and Americans, though based only on hearsay and casual observations, was that they were very highly materialistic. But this young lady's life and the lives of about a dozen of her friends who afterwards became satsangis through her totally changed our opinion. She told us that she and all the other members of her family had from a very young age read the Bible regularly every day and they never missed their prayers before going to bed. They attended church services on every Sunday, and they had always done their best to lead a true Christian life according to the teachings of Christ. This included helping the poor and needy with money and services as much as they could. But beyond this, they did not know anything about religion. A few days later, she brought with her an American missionary, whom she introduced to the great master in these terms. Sir, here is Reverend Mr. H., my father confessor. I have told him that I am renouncing Christianity and taking up the Sant religion. He may try to change my decision if he can. Why renounce Christianity, the great master asked. Rather, you are becoming a true Christian and are going to follow the real teachings of Christ. You must remember that Sant Mat is not a religion. Followers of all religions are among its followers. Its basic truth is found at the bottom of all religions. One does not find God by changing religions. Devotees in all the religions have found him. It is devotion, love, and the pangs of separation from the Lord that count, and not the rites and rituals of religions. This lady was telling me that according to you, one can see Christ. Well, excuse me, one can see Christ even now," said the missionary. "Yes, 
within us, said the great master, not anywhere outside. If the kingdom of heaven is within us, then certainly Christ is also there. And there, too, we will not only meet Lord Jesus Christ, but also all the prophets and incarnations. What is the method of going within, asked the missionary. We rise to heaven on the ladder of the word, which St. John says was in the beginning with God and was God, replied the great master. That word is no more in the world. That word was Christ, exclaimed the missionary. Certainly Christ was the word, and the word was Christ, the great master said. But let us consider this matter a little more calmly and clearly. The words in the gospel are, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning here means before the universe was created and when as yet there was nothing. Do you seriously contend that what follows was said of the man, Jesus? After a short pause, the great master continued saying, No, this was spoken of that which became a man, the power that incarnated as Jesus Christ, to which John refers as the word which became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The word is the ocean of the eternal life and light of the Creator, from which all the saints come. They are, so to say, waves of that ocean, and they return to that ocean after doing their duty here below. Christ came from that ocean, did his work here, and returned to the ocean when his task was done. The body was the garment that he put on here. The body was not Christ. He assumed the body only so that he could be understood by the people whom he was to teach. Since human beings can only understand human language, he therefore had to assume the human form. He left the body behind when his task was done. It was the body that was crucified and not the Christ. That Christ which could not be crucified and which existed before the creation was and is the Word. Before Jesus came, many other Christs had come into the world under different names and in different countries, and many more Christs will come in the future. This world can never remain without a Christ. He is always there to help and guide those who seek him. Why did Jesus take all the trouble of coming from Galilee in the north to Jordan in the south to meet John and to be baptized by him? Was John greater than Jesus? What actually was the true position of John, the American lady asked. Christ himself answered this question when John refused to baptize him, said the master. He said, Suffer it to be so, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. To adopt a master is an ancient, unwritten law of spirituality, which God himself ordained. He ordained that no one shall enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is duly initiated by a true master. This has been an accepted rule among all the mystic schools of the world to whatever country or age they belonged. This righteous institution is looked upon as a divine ordinance. The great Kabir, 
though a born saint, had to adopt Ramanand, a sannyasi, as his guru because no one would listen to one who was not duly initiated by a master. Why is a guru so essential? Pandit Thakardat asked. To this the great master replied, God has ordained it that way and no one can question his authority. A king can lay down any rules he likes to regulate who can have audience with him and how. Masters are always present in this world. It cannot exist without them. When one master goes, he leaves another to work in his place. There is no difference between them. John the Baptist was the greatest master of his time. You read in the Bible that Jerusalem and all Judea and all regions round about Jordan went out to him and were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins. John saw that he was to leave this earth soon and so he baptized Jesus to carry on the work after him. Through all ages do the successive generations of the masters appear to show the way, says Nanak. The line of masters remains in the world at all times. At this moment, a number of Gorkha, Nepalese satsangis, who were military officers in the Baklo cantonment about 10 miles from Dalhousie, came to see the great master. They fell at his feet. A lady member of the party wet his feet with her tears and would not leave them. A member of the European party remarked that this was an ignominious debasing of human dignity. The great master said, I have tried my best to stop these people from behaving like this, but nobody listens to me. I do not like this habit of touching the feet. At this, the American lady quietly took the Bible from the missionary's hand and read the following passage from it. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known what manner of woman this is that touches his feet, for she is a sinner. Then Jesus, answering, said unto Simon, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him five hundred pence and the other fifty. They had nothing to pay. The creditor frankly forgave them both. Tell me now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, That whom he forgave most. Then he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered thy house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same love little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. 
Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. And that's from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. This scene described by Luke is of daily occurrence at the Dera, said Mr. Virban. Professor Jagmohan Lao commented, Christ is always doing things like that. That is the habit of all the Christs. The great master would stop me, but otherwise I would have related a very interesting story. Satsangar on the Majita road in his car and the road was very crowded. People were going to the Satsangar in cars, tongas, bicycles and rickshaws and a very large number were on foot. He was at a distance of about two furlongs from the Satsangar when on a turn in the road a man Satsangar on the Majita road in his car and the road was very crowded. People were going to the Satsangar in cars, tongas, bicycles and rickshaws and a very large number were on foot. He was at a distance of about two furlongs from the Satsangar when on a turn in the road a man suddenly fell down in front of his car. The driver stopped the car and the great master got down to see what had happened. The drunkard had fallen right in front of the car, but luckily he had escaped quite unhurt. The great master, with the help of a companion of the drunken man, tried to make him stand on his feet, but he was too drunk to walk steadily. A number of satsangis who had gathered around helped him to get out of the way. When the great master left, the drunkard asked who was the sadar in the car for the great master's majestic figure could not but impress this peasant, even though he was not full in his senses. His companion, who was also half tipsy, told him, perhaps just by way of leg pulling, that the people around said that he was God, who had come to earth to save sinners like him. God he seems to be, and I want to go to him to get my sins forgiven, the peasant said. And after a few minutes, he, with a half-emptied bottle of liquor in his pocket, reached the satsangar, reclining on the shoulder of his companion. The great master was sitting in an easy chair, relaxing himself. We noticed this man only when he suddenly, with unsteady steps, tumbled down at the feet of the great master, placed his head on his feet, and locked the great master's legs in his arms. You are God. Forgive me my sins he begged. No, I am not God, said the great master, trying to release himself from his grip. I am a sinner like you. Now get up, my son. I will not rise unless you say that you have forgiven me, said the peasant. The great master laughed involuntarily, and with the laughter came his forgiveness. Manohar, the master's personal attendant, and Jamadar Partap Singh, wanted to remove the man by force, but the great master stopped him from doing so. Well, he said with a smile, this is a strange way of getting forgiveness by force. The drunkard began to weep bitterly. Say what you like, but I won't leave your feet until you forgive me, he said. The great master laughed heartily and put both his hands on the man's head. Well, rise up, for you are forgiven, my son, he said. All my sins? Am I saved from hellfire? asked the peasant, raising his head. Yes, your faith has saved you, replied the great master. 
In the evening, the peasant was found standing in the queue waiting for initiation. A few were rejected, but he was among those who were accepted. You will have to abstain from alcoholic drinks and animal foods in the future, the great master told him. Wine I can never give up. It is simply impossible for me, the man replied. Well then, promise one thing, and that is that you never take it in my presence, said the great master. That I do promise, sir, said the peasant. How do you earn your livelihood, the great master asked. By theft and robbery, was the surprising reply. That must be given up. You must choose some other profession, said the great master. I do not know any other profession, the man told him. But you must start to earn your living in some other way now that you have been initiated, the great master insisted. I cannot do anything else and have never done anything else, said the peasant. All right, then promise me one thing more, that you will not steal any more than you actually need and that you will not take anyone else with you when you go out to steal. That I promise with all my heart, the man replied. Before leaving, he again fell at the master's feet. The master again blessed him by putting both his hands on his head. After this, he committed theft only once. And another part of the book, uh, his background, Gungu's background is given. It's really very extremely interesting that he was, and this man, Gungu, became a very famous disciple of Sao and Singh. Um, Kripal and Sanchi referred to him a number of times also. Uh, he was on his way as a young man. He had been... He was very respectable. He had been brought up he was very poor. But he was on his way to join the army when they passed a police station in which a policeman was torturing a prisoner. The prisoner was tied onto a bed frame, um, the kind of um, cord bed that many of us remember from Rajasthan. Uh, he was spread-eagled on it. His hands and feet were tied to each corner and the police officer was whipping him. And Gungu, who was a very large, strong man, uh, was uh, just couldn't stand it. I mean, he saw the guy do it. He said to the policeman, why are you doing this? And the policeman said, who was very uh, angry and very power conscious, said, get out of here or get, you'll get the same treatment. And Gungu beat the policeman up and he let the guy go. And then he ran off because, of course, from then on he was a wanted man. So he became an outlaw that way. And it, you know, it's it's such a. Those of us who have been involved in in uh, prison ministry, and in um, you know knowing the lives of many people who end up on death row and other places, this 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 kind of thing is not that uncommon. Where you make one mistake. And it's a mistake of good intention, but it has terrible consequences in this world. And you, you know, suffer in this world by the law of logic, as Sawan Singh was saying, what we call the law of karma. But in terms of what's in hearts and what's in the mind of God and the way God treats us, um, we get treated according to the intention. So Gangu who was at heart a very good man, even though he spent most of his life committing crimes that many people would say, I mean, by California law, he would have been in prison long since, you know, and never get out, third strike and you're out, so forth. 
um, this according to God working through the living master you see um, what counts is the love in his heart and he was forgiven the other which we can all remember because you know we've all done something and people are very weighed down by the mistakes they have made and those mistakes do come back to haunt us and on the worldly level we do lose we may lose everything we have just like Gunga did but God knows Tolstoy wrote a story once God sees the truth but waits and there is a you know that the title of that story for there was a while in my life it was like a mantra I would think God sees the truth but waits it's okay it's okay God sees the truth but waits things don't happen our sense of time is not his actually he has no sense of time that's what makes him God but I won't get into that anyway following his initiation he went to attend the marriage ceremony of a female relative who lived in Gurdaspur district and while there he ran short of money one night he entered the house of a Bania banker and broke open his strong box just as he had taken hold of a bundle of currency notes the heavy upper lid of the iron chest fell on his arm wounding him grievously and holding it fast as in a trap all his cunning and cleverness failed to get him out of it but after a long struggle he finally gave himself up as lost the great master appeared before him helping the robber to free his arm he said did you not promise me not to steal any more than you needed now run away to save your life and leave everything here after that the peasant never again committed any theft on the very first day of his return to his village his boon companions approached him and asked to join asked him to join them for the usual evening drinking bout at first he refused point-blank to join their orgy but they were determined to celebrate as they said the inauspicious occasion of his being saved from hell fire by his misfortune in meeting a saint they opened their bottles of illicit liquor and offered him a jugful of it but with folded hands he humbly begged to be excused at this one of his comrades Balwant Singh who was his second in command took over the command of the group saying that since the regular commander had gone out of his senses he would act in his place as a warning he told the master's disciple that his arms and legs would be held by two loyal officers and he would then be laid flat on the ground with his face upward another officer would hold his hand over his nose and the commander himself would then perform the ceremony of emptying the jug into his mouth speak prisoner what have you got to say in your defense thundered his second in command I submit the robber chieftain replied there was a loud hurrah and a shout of victory for the illicit wine they all filled their jugs and sang the bacchanalian song who dies as long as liquor lives gungu had just raised his jug to his lips when he saw the great master appear before him remember your promise my son said the great master as soon as you break it i shall take back my pardon also Gangu stood up flung the jug at the face of his second-in-command and ran out of the room slamming the door shut behind him soon he returned with a rifle in his hands 
You know what a sharpshooter I am, he told his former cronies. You also know how ruthlessly I can kill my own men for disobedience. Now stay seated as you are and listen to me most attentively. The least movement will bring instantaneous death. His second-in-command started to speak, saying, Sardar? No, Sardar, he thundered, and at the same instant pointed his gun towards Balwant Singh. The silence of the grave fell instantly over the group in the room. Then the robber chieftain spoke. Now listen, my brothers, he said. I have come in touch with a Satguru, one sight of whom has changed my life. I have promised him never to touch wine again or to commit any crime. This robber band breaks up tonight, never to meet again to commit any crime. Here are the keys of my treasure chest. I do not see anyone amongst you who has the qualities of a leader. Take these keys and divide the money in the chest equally among you. You will each get about 5,000 rupees. With this sum, each of you can start any business you like. Go to some big city and settle down there. I do not think any of your names are as yet known to the police. You can easily start a new life. If any of you should be arrested and accused for any of your past acts, I shall see that you are properly defended and acquitted. I have now washed my hands of this entire affair. You can speak now, if any of you wish to say anything. Sadar, we won't be able to live without you, said one. Then they all said the same thing. We will all live like brothers, but no longer as thieves and criminals, said Gungu in a very loving tone. But no, he continued, I am a proclaimed offender. The police are after me. I won't resist them now, and so I am sure to be captured some day. So you should all try to keep away from me as much as possible. Associating with me won't do you any good. One last word, and I have done. At least once in your life, go to Beas and have the darshan of the great saint who resides there. I won't mind it if any of you go to the police and inform against me. But mind you, this will bring more trouble on you than on me. Saying this, he flung the bunch of keys to them and with folded hands bade them good night and farewell. And of course he did end up in jail, actually on death row, and was um, executed. like a number of masters, disciples. I think, you know, this the story and the things that led up to it are pretty self-explanatory and they don't need a lot of words. But we do tend to forget, I think, the way we follow the path, we do tend to forget the point that Baba Salensing is making here. You know, in those four divisions, the Shariat, the Takikat, the Maharafat, and the Hakikat that he mentioned, the Sufi names for the divisions, this is a very real thing. And oftentimes, it's been my experience anyway, that, and I have also done this, that we tend to forget very easily the rest of it. You know, we, we concentrate on the rules. And the rules are there to enable us to accomplish that which we want to accomplish. And the rules include, of course, looking beyond rules and looking with love. The whole point of everything is to love. 
when Sanchi was asked one time, you know, why the masters are here, he said they came down to love. It's their business, in other words. Loving is their business. It used to be, when I was a young man in Boston many, many, many years ago, I used to go to a particular place where a rock and roll band played. This was in the 50s, of course. And uh, I liked that rock and roll band very much. And they used to close, this was before I was initiated, and they used to close every session by singing, That's Why We Are Here, Rockin' Is Our Business. And I used to remember that. My friends and I would talk about it. We thought that it was a very profound kind of statement. They are here to rock. The Master is here to love. All the Masters come to love. That's why they're here. It's their rationale, their reason for existence is to love. They come into a world that is ruled by law, that demands absolute punishment for every wrong you do and insists on rewarding you for every good thing you do so that you won't have, you won't be able to build up any great amount of credit. And the um, master comes and short circuits all that. And we are supposed to do the same thing. I mean, we are his children. And you, you know that it is said that if people... You can tell who somebody is following by how they act. If we act like Kao, the Lord of Judgment, then who are we disciples of? So it is absolutely incumbent that we understand this particular point about the Master's and imitate it. Not imitate it, obviously, in an outward way, but grasp the point of it. It really, I mean, it can only be done really with the fourth stage, the stage of becoming God. can't be done by imitation, really. But if the more that we think of the Master's point of view, the more that we understand the grace of God working through him and how it affects us, then the closer we come to it. We can see from that point of view, just as in the story I've told many times about Moses looking over God's shoulder, we can see from his point of view, through his grace, he allows that to happen. And when he does that, we have the power to act like him because we are seeing it the same way he does. It's a very beautiful thing about the past, maybe the most beautiful thing of all. And, you know, the Master, I mean, I have was present many times with both Kripal and Sanchi. You know, um, the Master, this this is the way they do things. It, it's astonishing. I know that others of you also have observed this. I mean, we are told how we are supposed to act and so forth. We are given instructions and it's important that we follow it. I mean, the Master's rules are not exactly like the, the Shariat that uh, Samhain Singh is referring to here because the Shariat really is less relevant to our lives than the very simple kind of things that the Masters lay down. But still, even there, it's for a purpose, it's for a point. And if we remember what the point is for, then we can sometimes remember when it's not so important to follow it. There's a story, Master Kripal used to tell the story of Lord Krishna in Arjuna. 
that someone once insulted Arjuna's bow. Now Arjuna's bow was a weapon. It had a name. It was called Gandiva, just like the sword Excalibur that King Arthur had. Uh, it was the same kind of outlook from the heroic age. And Arjuna had named his bow Gandiva, and he treated it like a person, like it had a life of its own. And somebody insulted it one time, and he was going to kill them. And Lord Krishna asked him why. And he said, because they have insulted my bow, and I have taken a vow that not to allow anyone to insult me or mine. And Lord Krishna said, well, you've taken the vow as part of your duty, your dharma? And he said, yes. And Lord Krishna said, well, what's the point of dharma? What's the purpose of it? And Arjuna said, well, to take us back to God and to increase happiness in the world. And he said, well, how much happiness are you going to increase by doing this? How close to God is this going to take you? And Arjuna saw his point. And this is what Samhain Singh is talking about here. I remember there was a case of a man who was initiated many years ago now at St. Bani Ashram. And he was... Um, he came to satsang a few times and he talked to me about initiation and he said, well, I, I can't be a vegetarian. And I said, why not? And he said, because I have my stomach, most of my stomach has been removed. I have no digestive processes uh, like you have and I cannot digest vegetable food. And if I try to live on what I can live on that is vegetable, um, I get very weak because I can't get any protein that way. And I said, no, no, everybody's vegetarian. You can, just, you can do it. He said, I can't. I've been to doctors many times. I would like to be. I've always wanted to be a vegetarian, but I can't do it. So the master said, um, excuse me, the master didn't say anything. I, where am I at? I said, all right, I'll ask him about it. So I, next time I went to India, I took his application, he filled out an application and answered no in the question, are you vegetarian? And I took the application with me to India and I had a private interview with Sanchi and I asked him about it. I sh showed him the application and asked him. He was very thoughtful. He asked me three or four questions and then he said, well, there's no way around it, so you'll have to give it to him even though he can't be a vegetarian. And I said, you, you really want me to initiate him? He said, yes, what can we do? There's no, no possible, there's no alternative. So I was astonished. And I went back and, um, and he was at an initiation. And the sequel to this is very, very strange thing too, because the, he was initiated with six or seven other people in the satsang hall at, um, St. Bani, and I was terribly sick the day that, that he was initiated. I had a migraine headache, which I could not get rid of, and it was just excruciatingly painful, and I was reading the instructions and trying to be sharp and trying to be sensitive to people's needs and all that, and it wasn't working. I mean, the, my head was pounding. If any of you had a migraine, you know what, how, you know how impossible it is to concentrate. And uh, so my judgment was very seriously impaired. And later I took, I had other people always on call that were authorized to initiate, either Kent McNell or later Judith, um, 
got permission from the master to give the initiation. And they were always, one of them was always available um, just in case that happened again. Because I shouldn't have been doing that work that day, although who knows what should and shouldn't means. Anyway, I uh, put them in meditation. And during the sitting, uh, this particular man, the one that Sanchi had said to initiate, who was not a vegetarian, the strange noises began to come from him. And it sounded for all the world like he was snoring, and snoring in a particularly loud and difficult way. And I became worried for the other people. I mean, it's not that uncommon for people to fall asleep at initiations, although it doesn't happen too often, but oftentimes people come to it so nervous and they have not slept well that, um, you know, when they're suddenly sitting there relaxing and meditating, they just fall asleep. As Sanchi always used to do, when I was with him a number of times in that way, I would always ask him, should I wake them up? I would gesture and point, and he would laugh and say, no, um, let him sleep. Maybe he needs it. Anyway, uh, I went so I went over to wake this guy up. I wasn't thinking of him, but I was thinking of the other people. And he was, this strange noise was coming from his throat, long, obnoxiously loud sounds. So I, I took him by the shoulder and, and touched him gently and whispered to him, and he didn't budge. And I did that again, and I... I shook him three or four times hard, finally, and he came out, boom, in a, in a tremendous upheaval. And he looked at me, and boy, was he angry. I could see his eyes were burning with fire. And I said, um, you seem to be snoring. And I, I was suddenly very sure I had done the wrong thing. He looked at me, he said, I was in the company of the Master within, and he was talking to me, and you pulled me out of it. Every word was like ice. And I just, boy, I just wanted to crawl into the floor of the hall. And I apologized to him with all my heart, and I never, never, never did anything like that again. But it was, it was a great lesson to me. But this was the guy who couldn't even be a vegetarian. So, which is not to say, it doesn't give anyone excuses. You know, you can't say, well, that guy uh, didn't have to do it, so why should I? It doesn't work like that. I'm sure we all understand that. But it is, it's a very useful lesson in, we don't know what's going on between the Master and uh, various people that he connects with. You know, and, and a thing like it, I mean, after all, uh, Master Kripal gave permission for a number of people who were diabetics at that time to get uh, have the initiation and of course at that time this is I believe this is no longer true but this was back in the 1960s um, I asked him a special person whom I had known all my life I had known her as a little kid and she was a friend of my sister's they used to play together in San Renton New Hampshire where I was growing up and I I asked the master if um, she was a diabetic, had been since she was very young, and took insulin every day. And of course, the insulin that you took then was natural, and it came from animal sources. And there was no possibility of anything else. And she was, she ingested it, you know, regularly, routinely. And it seemed to be a violation of the diet, 
this was when I was still fairly new at the initiation business, and I did not, um, there's a lot of things I learned as I went along. And so I asked Master Kripal, and he said, um, he thought about it, he listened, I told him, and he said, um, yes, you can give it to her. And when I told Sanchi about that later, because I was talking about this friend of mine with him one time, he said, um, well, he wanted her to have it despite the karma. The point is that that too was also technically just as much of a failure and for the same reasons as this guy's. Yet a number of diabetics who took insulin every day were granted that. And in prison, as uh, some of us know too, uh, especially on death row in Texas, where a number of master's children were put to death in the last few years, um, it was almost impossible to be a strict vegetarian because the, I mean, they did their level best, but it was, uh, you know, things were beyond their control. And in the South, it is very common for vegetables to be cooked in meat fat without anyone saying anything about it. It's just taken for granted. And um, so they, you know, the prisoners do their best, but they're very conscious that by other people's standards, they are not really strict vegetarians. And uh, yet those guys got a lot of grace, just like Gungu, Master was with them. So we can't, you know, always think about these things from the point of view of how it looks or things like that. And I remember the Judith used to do a lot of prison work also, more than me at the end, actually. She was doing satsang in the New Hampshire State Prison every week. Uh, for the last two or three years of her life. And a number of people were initiated there. I went in and initiated them, although she could have done it, but she always asked me to do that. And um, and I gave occasional satsangs, but she did it on a regular basis. And um, the uh, chaplain of that prison was quite a guy. He came to her memorial service, actually, and... Uh, I was so pleased to see him there when he left. I shook his hand and he and I said, it's, it's so nice of you to come. And he said, well, she brought a lot of light into that place every week. And I, was, I just want to pay tribute to her. Anyway, he said that, um, she told me that he had said one time he was addressing volunteers, which is what she technically was. And he said, we've got to remember that Jesus was radically inclusive. And that phrase stuck in my mind, radically inclusive. And that's what this reading has been talking about. The prostitute that Jesus let kiss him and uh, bathe his feet with her tears. Gangu, the alcoholic criminal, the scum of the earth by most people's standards. Something about, I mean, it's not, you, you can't say, you know, well, they were good people at heart. I mean, I know I did say that. But everyone is a good person at heart. You see, it's just where does the dividing line come? At some point, a bad decision is made, bad karma begins to happen, and people are led in bad directions. And yeah, it's their fault in, in one sense. They make the mistake originally. But then after that, it's uh, you know very difficult to control. And the point is that God doesn't care. You know, the judge of the world is the negative power.
God is the God of love. And whenever, I mean, these different, I mean, various religions uh, deal with this differently. In the Kabbalah, the esoteric Jewish um, system, comparable to Sufism in the within Judaism, the judgment and love aspects of God are separated very early on. And uh, they don't have a concept exactly of a negative power per se, because it would, it's uh, they, the Kabbalah stays within the confines of Orthodox Judaism, just as Sufism tries to within Islam. But um, it amounts to the same thing. That which judges is, from our point of view, a separate entity from that which loves and forgives. From the other end, they seem to be one. But from the other end, everything is one. So it's, it's important to remember that we, it's, it's absolutely essential for us to love and to forgive. William Blake said that the essence of Christianity is the forgiveness of sins. And he also said mutual forgiveness of each vice, such are the gates of paradise. I used to read that couplet in the wedding ceremonies that I did. Because it's, you know, it's our key. I mean, this is the Master's teaching. It's been the teaching of all Masters who have ever come. And we are also the gainers, you know. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, which Master Kripal also told many times in this context, the older brother is unhappy with um, the forgiveness that his father is giving to the younger brother. And he says, well, what's the point then of being a good son and staying with you and doing what you wanted if he's going to get exactly the same as me? And his father said, well, you've got it all. You've got it already. You know, everything I have is yours. And it's no problem, but this guy was lost. And now he's back, and we've got him. And that's something to rejoice about. And this is the nature of God. I mean, those parables and those acts of the great masters, including Christ, are there for, to demonstrate to us the nature of God. This is what God is like. And when Rabia who is referred to also in the reading, said that love is the core of the universe. This is what she meant. When the Bible says, whoever does not love cannot know God because God is love, this is what it means. St. Teresa of Avila said that all the way to heaven is heaven because God is love and the path is also love. The path takes us to itself, in other words. Love leads to love. It's a question of, of degree, not of kind. So this, to me, this is the essence of the path. This is what the Masters came to show us, not just to teach us. It was my tremendous good fortune for which, it, you know, it's one of the things that defies comprehension. The amount of time that I was given to spend with both great Masters, Kripal and Ajayab. And I observed this over and over and over again with myself and with others. Yes, the master could rebuke. He certainly could rebuke. And he could be very displeased with me. And I have also seen him, what seemed to be very displeased with others, both of them. But the fact is that over and over again, what was happening was forgiving. 
The form may change, but the essence remained, and forgiveness was the thing that was happening all the time. It is said that Ramakrishna had a disciple, a very, actually pretty famous guy, Girish Chandra Ghosh was his name. He was a, a playwright, a dramatist in Bengal, in Calcutta, very famous one, very successful. And he was a worldly guy. He was not a criminal like Gangu, but he drank and he went to parties. And that was the kind of life he lived. And he came to Ramakrishna and uh, he loved him. But he, didn't, he couldn't stop his uh, way of living. It was too ingrained in him. And he asked Ramakrishna about you know, ways he could find God. And Ramakrishna gave him the teaching of remembrance that he had to remember God all the time. And Girish said, well, he couldn't. It's really very similar to Gangu's conversation with Salen Singh. He said, well, I can't do that. I'm a busy guy. I'm, I'm successful, this and that. I have all this stuff. I can't remember God. I'm all tied up with my own things. You would think now that, you know, a master would say at this point, well, then too bad. You know, this is the way it has to be. you got to do it. But what he did was he said, well, then promise me this, that you will remember God at least once every day. And Girish said, all right, that I can promise. And he did. Uh, and for many, you know, for a long time, during Ramakrishna's lifetime, he was uh, still kept up his lifestyle, and the other disciples hated it. They thought that he was making Ramakrishna look bad because it became known that he was his disciple, and still he was drinking, going to parties, fooling around, etc. But after Ramakrishna left the body, uh, that remembrance once a day suddenly exploded and Girish totally changed and became a very sober and extremely devoted person and remained that way for the rest of his life. He became one of the most famous of Ramakrishna's lay disciples. And um, this is the way the Master works, you know. I've often told the story of the, uh, the prince who thought he was a rooster. This is a story told by Rabbi Nachman of Bratslav, great Hasidic master in Russia. Um, the prince was convinced he was a rooster. He's absolutely insane. And all he would do is go naked under a table and eat the crumbs that fell down. And Because that's what roosters do. And he would crow and, you know, hop around under the table and it was terribly embarrassing to the royal family. So uh, they tried everything. Doctors came and finally they got a hold of a holy man. And he was very wise, Rabbi Nachman says, very wise. And he said, uh, all right, let me, let me be with him for a while. So he, he took off all his clothes and got down onto the table with him. And they scrabbled around together. He said, I'm a rooster too, he said to the man. And the prince was very glad to meet a fellow rooster. So they enjoyed. They ate crumbs and gobbled around and stuff like that. And then the, finally the, the master put on his shirt. He said, just because you're a rooster doesn't mean you can't wear a shirt. And the prince, huh, that's a thought. So he put on his shirt and so forth. He would sit in a chair and say, you know, just because you're a rooster doesn't mean you can't sit in a chair. And eventually he got him so he was acting like a human being. And by that time, his conviction that he was a rooster was considerably weaker. 
And Rabbi Nachman said, this is what the holy man does. He comes, he comes, he comes into us, down to us on our terms. He is with us. He shows us that he is like us. And we don't see the difference, you know. We do on some level. That's why we go to him in the first place, why we pay attention to him. But we don't see it from, we don't realize the degree to which as Gangu saw that the Master really is God. We don't, we don't see that. And nobody can, except rare souls. Anyway, um, he acts like us, and then he shows us, you can do it this way. You don't have to do it this way. It is not necessary to blame and judge and condemn others. You can love them. You can forgive them. That's an option you have. You, have the, you don't have power over the events of your life, but you do have power over your reactions to those events. You can forgive and you can love and you can be kind and not mind things, or you can condemn, judge, criticize, categorize, feel like you know exactly who belongs where and what they're worth and like that. But see, you can be a human being and still love and forgive. Just like you can be a rooster and wear a shirt. It's perfectly possible. And so the Master shows us, and I saw hundreds of examples of this with Kripal and Ajay, both, not just for me, but with many people. And my eyes were opened many, many times. Um, a fellow came back from India once, um, back in 1969. He had actually been there with me but I uh, came home before he did. And all he could talk about when he came back was how the Master goes beyond the textbook. Of course, there is no textbook exactly, but I knew what he meant. That, you know, the things that we assume are inviolable rules, the Master is the one who originated them, therefore he doesn't go by them unless it serves his purpose. He knows what is important and he goes by that. We can't do that. But to the point, I mean, we can't do it in regards to our personal behavior because uh, we don't know enough. But we can do it in regards to the way we treat others and the way we approach the universe also. The, the thing that Rabia said that was quoted in the reading, that, um, you know, she never made efforts to become wealthy or to um, become healthy because she assumed they were the gifts of God. This is exactly, I mean, Ramakrishna, when he was dying of cancer of the throat, brought on from talking too much, giving satsang and darshan all day long, um, his disciples asked him, why don't you, you see the Divine Mother every day, why don't you ask her to cure you? And he would say, when he came back, he would say, yeah, I... I saw the Divine Mother, but when I saw her, I couldn't remember that I was sick. I just loved her. And similarly, when Kripal was in his last days, as most everyone knows, one of his young disciples asked him, Master, why don't you heal yourself? And he said, well, look here. If someone you love gives you something, will you not accept it? I think you will accept it. And that was the way he saw it. So our, you know, this is this is a radical 
revolutionizing of the thought patterns. Master uses that phrase in the crown of life. This is what it takes, a revolutionizing of the thought patterns. The very essence of our being has got to be changed. Radical in the real sense of the word, we go to the root, which is what radix means in Latin, like radish is a root vegetable. We go to the root of the thing and change it there. That's a real change. And this is how it works. Well, I think, to me, this is the essence of the path, that the whole teaching on forgiveness and love centers around the question of reaching God, becoming like God, becoming God. In the tape we're going to hear, uh, Master Kripal is talking about these these things, and uh, he uses this is the I believe this section is coming up. But, uh, sometimes I get so fuzzy I don't really know where we're at. Where he says that everyone who has the human body, he actually says man body because that was his way of speaking, but he, he used man for human all the time. Uh, has the birthright to become God, I tell you. The birthright to become God. And this is why God loves us and forgives us. Because in essence, the thing that matters, we are Him. And He knows it. It's like He's forgiving parts of Himself. And this, I mean, this is, a, from our point of view, a great mystery, you know. But there it is. Samhain Singh says, that from the bottom, it, the whole creation looks as though everyone's doing things, pushing and pulling and tugging at each other and hurting each other and helping each other and so forth. From the top, it looks like bubbles rising and falling in an ocean. Both are right. Both are right. It's not a question of one being wrong and the other right, but the whole requires both. They're both there. Which is why God can so easily forgive us. All right, we'll hear the tape, and I think we'll finish it today. There's not a whole lot left. Greg, it's on side A, right? Yeah. And it'll have to be flipped, but when it flips, it's um, queued up, so it just flips right over. Okay. I'll have to make a switch because we're almost out of the other tape. So okay. All right. People are saying, well, it would have been, it would have.